0: This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, and now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Welcome to another edition of the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh. I'm very happy that you took the time to either view and or listen to this week's podcast. And I'm delighted to have back as my guest. And this is the second time that I've had a returning guest. The first was Pastor Dale Flowers. And now I have Reverend Demetria Lavelle Jones-Smith, Shiloh's minister of Christian education education, and my bride. Demetria, thank you for taking the time to share with us in the Thrive Podcast today.
1: We are glad to be here.
0: Summer camp, vacation Bible school, summer discipleship training. There's a lot that's been going on in Shiloh uh, this summer with regard to Christian education. Tell us more about uh, the summer that we have had here at
1: Shiloh. Oh, Summer is uh, always very busy for the uh, Christian Education Ministry at Shiloh and um, very much so this year. Um, summer camp has been going uh Wonderful. I mean, just it's 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 wonderful. The number of kids we have this year, uh, we merged another camp. Uh, one of our members, Ida Holmes, ran a camp for many years associated with a school, mm-hmm. and she wanted to fold in with us this year. So we have had as many as I believe it's one hundred and sixty kids registered, if not more. and um so we brought in teachers that came from that camp, and, and then new people who found us who weren't involved with Shiloh's camp or uh, with uh, Ms. Holmes' camp. And so this year has just been wonderful. It's been very busy around here. We got we have babies everywhere. <laughs> but that's a good thing, because we have the space for it, and uh, we have enthusiastic teachers. And so in the morning, uh, we look at our academic subjects. So about 8.15-ish, 8 no later than 8.30, we have our morning devotions, mm-hmm. and they rotate through each classes. So we are pre-K through middle school. So we have mm, 19 pre-K students who are going to be pre-K in the fall, about four. Uh, we have 21 to 22 kindergartners, uh, rising kindergartners. We have about oh 17 or 18 first graders, and then I can't remember all the numbers as we go up. But all the way through second, third, fourth, fifth, and then our middle school group has their own component where they stay pretty much self-contained to themselves. And uh, it's just been wonderful to see the kids grow. So in the morning, primarily after we have our devotion and the uh, classes rotate through. Uh, weekly through the devotion. We're 10 weeks and so each class has had an opportunity to lead devotion at least one week and uh, we do (laughs) they sing songs, uh, they have little scripture readings Uh, sometimes they do interactive uh, dancing just a lot of different things but uh, we have the morning devotion and then we go over character ed, um, a word for the day character Mm -hmm. word for the day and make our announcements and so once we're done with the devotional period of the morning then the kids go off to class And um, our pre-K, kindergartners, and first grade are self-contained. They don't rotate um, really at all. And then so we have a teacher that is we have pre-K and then we had to split up kindergarten because it got too big. So we had K-1, K-2, and then uh, first grade, second, third, fourth, all the way up to middle school. And it's been a good summer. The kids are learning a lot, but at the same time, our goal is to help them retain as much information as possible. Mm -hmm. We also were very lucky this year. That um, our pre K through third graders were able to be in a special program with volunteers in the public schools vips program mm-hmm. they wrote a grant to do a uh summer reading challenge and um to help prevent summer reading loss uh, studies say that as much as 2.7 months of instruction is lost over the summer so that's a lot of so over a three
0: month period of time you lose 2.7 months.
1: almost three months of it's instruction interesting you bring that lining. up because mm-hmm.
0: dr esram petrie was here last week uh, who is the new principal of McKinley High School. Mm-hmm. And I asked him his thoughts on uh, year-round education in the school system. And uh, he he seemed to be enthusiastic uh, about the idea of it, the, the concept of it. Uh, I think he was less enthusiastic about the practicality the of it. But, mm-hmm. but, but when you look at... AT uh, the, the, THE LOSS OF RETENTION THAT SEEMS TO TAKE PLACE FROM THE END OF uh, ONE SCHOOL YEAR TO THE BEGINNING OF THE NEXT, I JUST BELIEVE THAT uh, FOR A STATE THAT CONSISTENTLY RANKS NEAR THE BOTTOM IN EDUCATION, WE NEED TO TRY NEW THINGS.
1: Uh, I probably would agree with that. Uh, there are other states as well as many other countries do year-round education. And what they do is you just you have four quarters and you have a break in between. So you might do a week and a half in between. So you still get, you know, if you add it all up and then add your holidays in there, you're getting quite a bit of time off um, to refresh. Yeah, because refresh. Kid, kids
0: go back to school. The first week in August, correct? Yeah,
1: uh, uh, August 9th, pretty much okay. in EBR. they go
0: back to school uh, on August nice. 9th. It gets it gets earlier and earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they'll be out for Labor Day. Yes. And then they'll be out for Veterans Day, I believe it is. Veterans Day are, not sure. are, 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 are th- there's going to be another holiday. Mm-hmm. And then they'll be out for Thanksgiving. And then mm-hmm. they're going to be out for two weeks for Christmas mm-hmm and New Year's, and then then they're going to be out for the King Holiday, Holiday, and then then they're going to be out for Mardi Gras, Mm -hmm. and then they're going to be out for Spring Break. They get a whole lot of break time. uh, Even with uh, the summers uh, off. Even with the summers Mm -hmm. off. And... uh, I, I just think that it's an idea whose time has come this 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 old-fashioned uh, clinging to the agrarian calendar uh, where, where, where children right. were needed to go out and, and, and harvest the fields mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, and serve as free labor for their parents and for them for themselves mm-hmm. on, on their farms that day is come and gone and uh, summer months uh, people are hot Uh, summer months uh, people uh, who are poor uh, have a difficult time getting meals Uh, it's a shame to say but but for many of these children the only meals that they get they get in school Mm -hmm. And, and so when they're off in the summer there is no breakfast. There is no lunch. No. Uh, so I just think that, that for a number of, of, of reasons, not the least of which is retention and improvement in educational skills, it's just an idea whose time has come. And, and I bring that up not because you're an educator, but I know you come from a family of educators, mm-hmm. uh, but because I know that you're seeing this in summer camp because the summer camp that Shiloh offers is an academic summer camp.
1: Yes. It's not just fun and enrichment. It's academic and all of the teachers are certified teachers all except for two just retired this May so uh, they'll be going into the ranks of the retired but everyone is a is a seasoned um, teacher uh, and and licensed teacher and and they notice um, that when their students come back in August they will have forgotten quite a bit of information so the first three months, Teachers will probably say the first few months, they're just trying to make sure that people are are catching back up. Back up up to speed. Up to speed and and not even dealing with the fact if there were deficits before the year was out. They're just catching back up, trying to get back up to speed and to move forward. So we're very intentional about Shiloh summer camp that we're not just going to have fun. Yes, it's summertime and the kids want to get their, what I call, the willies out, and we let them have plenty enough wiggle and fun time. But to help them... um, be able to retain some of that information and then continue um, this idea that learning should not be a chore or a labor. It should be fun. Mm-hmm. And so encouraging them to read, uh, encouraging them to read things that they've never uh, read before, or even our field trips. We have some just go fun skating and Chuck E. Cheese kind of things, but a lot of museums. And the kids are like, oh, the museum. And it's like, no, you can have fun and learn at the same time. Yes. So trying to expose our kids to to something um, different. One of the field trips they took was to the West Baton Rouge Parish Museum. And that was the first time that a number of the kids had ever been to the other side of the river. Yeah. And I couldn't imagine that. But, but on the bus, uh, the teachers were talking about, because I didn't go with them that day, but they were talking about, they were like, this is the first time I've been across the Mississippi River Bridge. And um, that was something. Or one of the students said to me that morning, um, we're going to West Baton Rouge Museum. Is that the one where they do the sugar cane? I said, yeah. She said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, that's my favorite museum. Because she sees that there was a practical... Uh, application to what it was that she was being exposed to mm-hmm. and it, for this community the fact that really sugar was king in the deep south and in particularly in Louisiana yeah. and it still is you know you yeah. can go across the river and see all the sugar cane fields so for kids to understand how they are connected to the land and how they've been connected in in this area um, and really in the in the south um, because of the heritage Mm-hmm. And we come from African-American heritage and are tied to the land uh, as uh, persons, you know, uh, enslaved people right. for, the, for the most part. So the idea that you can have fun while learning something new. And I know I, I'm a lifelong learner, always looking every day to learn something new. And I want these kids to develop that, um, that, that thirst and hunger for learning even now. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. uh it's 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 been a good summer and then of course the, the the our afternoons after they have lunch uh it's fun stuff so they get to do uh music and art and dance we've had conflict resolution um and just the kind of things that they love you know the art, more artistic things yeah. and they're getting ready for our closing program uh next week we're uh they're they and they're practicing hard and singing their songs and <laughs> so we, we've had a really uh, a good summer and a, rich and, a safe summer.
0: We're grateful for the opportunity to work with so many children here at Shiloh. And uh, I'm personally grateful to you for the leadership that you have brought to the summer camp. But summer camp is not the only thing that has uh, uh, kept you involved uh, this this summer uh, you you are also uh, responsible for organizing a summer discipleship training series uh, that our church is now in about to enter into the third week of Mm -hmm. uh, this coming week talk to us about that about about how how that came about and about the courses and things of that sort
1: the summer Discipleship Institute uh, and This is something, or I should say the Discipleship Institute, we put summer uh, in front of it because it's summertime, but that's something that as a, a Christian educator and one who loves the idea of learning, Um, in sacred and secular context, I've noticed throughout my 20-plus years of ministry that we often don't spend enough time delving deeper into the areas of theological inquiry. So we have our strong Sunday school uh, program here, but Sunday school is, of course, the uniform Sunday school lesson. You rotate through a certain amount of lessons and themes and scriptures pretty much on a rotational basis, six, seven years, and you never get to delve into some other issues or some other subject areas. So we tried this once before about, oh, a year and a half, two years ago, and we put it on a... Sunday morning during the Sunday school period, and and we offered alternative classes, three or four additional classes. And people wanted to go, but they didn't want to leave their Sunday school class. And the compressed time of the Sunday school hour is only, and it's not even an hour, it's 45 minutes. So um, just through my own studies and having worked in two seminaries and um, looking at theological curriculum. I knew that that information is beneficial for mm-hmm. the local church, mm-hmm. but to have to figure out how do we do it. And so the, the Discipleship Institute is a model uh, that we're looking at having short-term classes mm-hmm. in very specific focused subjects, anywhere from um, six weeks to me would be ideal six weeks we did four weeks for the summer because this is summer and you know that a lot of people are uh vacationing and and going about doing different things and so trying to find a way to give people access to the subject matter and the more in-depth areas of theological inquiry um, but not to have to have a long-term commitment Mm -hmm. so for example we're teaching this uh this summer a class how we got the bible Introduction to the Old Testament, um, basically the history of the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. and we're doing it in a part one. And the next time we teach it, we'll do part two. Will be uh, history of the canonization of the New Testament, Mm -hmm. but just introducing people to how we got our Bible. It didn't fall out of the sky. Yeah, hallelujah! You know, with the the music, you know, playing and the light glowing. It didn't come down like that. Um,
0: In uh, fact, for some people, it's probably unnerving. To realize yeah. uh, how political the process was that uh, resulted in the canonization of scripture, uh, true with the Old Testament, but even more true with, with the New, the new mm-hmm. Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, those those people who, who believe that the Bible fell out of the sky in the King James in version the King
1: James version That's are very important. are, yes. are <laughs>
0: often uh, shaken Surprise. by the reality. Mm-hmm. That uh, it took three and a half centuries and several ecumenical councils before there was, was fixed. a a, a, mm-hmm. a fixed uh, canon uh, of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, and, and and sometimes when I was in seminary back in in the early '80s, uh, we were advised to steer clear of that kind of conversation, conversation in the mm-hmm. church for fear that it would uh, so shake people that it would cause them to have crises of faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad to to, to see that... Uh, we have taken a different approach, there should never be any fear in dealing with the truth.
1: And um, I think we do, our congregations, a disservice when we assume that they can't handle information. Especially in this dang age, even when I was a little girl, um, I knew that there was a Bible that had more than the 66 books. How do I know this? Because my father had one. You know, I was introduced to this, and so I'm like, well, where did these come from? So asking the questions about, well, why in some Bibles you had this many books Books and, and and in other Bibles you had another number of books but more than that in 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 our day and age of Google of smartphone yes uh, well, all you have to do is Google or ask Siri a question about something and the information is there it it um, is a disservice to our congregations, but also to ourselves, Mm -hmm. not to find a way to help people get the information as they, for example, find out how the New Testament came to be and how it was a process. to me, it's incumbent upon us as clergy, as pastors, as preachers, as teachers, to make sure that our people have access to information within the right context. Mm -hmm. I remember when I started seminary, and some of these kinds of questions came up, and while I was more prepared for the information that we received because uh, of my upbringing, also because I took quite a few religion classes in my undergraduate studies before I got to seminary, there were people, some of my colleagues, this was the first time they heard some of this, Mm -hmm. and as you said, it caused some people almost to have a crisis of faith. Yes. It's like, yes. what do you mean there was actually uh, human intervention yes. with, with what was canonized? What do you mean there were additional books in the Bible? You know, that What were do you written?
0: mean some books in the Bible don't belong there? Yes,
1: because that's what you say, and I <laughs> that, don't say that. I, I firmly say
0: that. I and firmly I don't say that. that. Song of Solomon ain't got no business in the Bible. And I, I will to uh, uh, disagree. And going and, and, and to the truth, <laughs> Jude else? ain't got no business in the Bible either. What else? Jude.
1: Jude. Jude and Song of Solomon anything else you think shouldn't be in it? I got questions
0: about Ruth and Esther. I'm, I'm, I'm starting mm-hmm. to try to work my way around mm-hmm. on those. But but I'm, I'm firmly convinced that Song of Solomon is not a song to the Lord. It's a song to a woman. That that, that a man is... is, that is it, it, it's it's it a series is. of love poems. It is and a, man, a series of love and, poems. And whoever and looked at that and, and said, he's talking to the Lord, you've got a perverted sense of how see, he's talking to the Lord.
1: But see, <clears throat> uh, I don't ever think that, that the people who had something to do with fixing the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible canon ever said he was talking to the Lord. They realized the what it was and I believe it's there and I thank God that it's there because of course scripture is authoritative for me it's because uh, to me in, in, in our sacred text in the Bible we have experiences that run the gamut from A to Z. And if we go back to the idea that in the beginning, when God created, God made humankind and shaped them in in the divine image and said that it was good, indeed, you know, it was beautiful, it was very good, mm-hmm. then why would not the interaction between man and woman not be good and beautiful as well? I'm not saying in that the, that right the interaction context. between man and woman is not is not
0: good and, be, and between and, two people. But but it's It is not directed toward God. Mm -hmm. It is directed toward a human Mm -hmm. relationship that people took, read, reviewed and said, we're going to make this a love letter mm. between God and man when that's clearly not what it is, especially when you read the more contemporary versions of it. It's downright X-rated.
1: It, it <laughs> is probably triple triple X-rated. But see, now we're having a discussion about hermeneutics because, again, the people who fixed it... Well, hermeneutics have a lot to do with, with canonization. Right. And the way... Well, hermeneutics to me has to do with canonization, but also the way you approach scripture we're making the assumption that the people that made sure that Song of Solomon was in the uh, Jewish or Hebrew Bible or Old Testament canon that they said this was about God. I don't think they said that. I think it is later interpreters who try to figure out, well, what do we do with this? then then try to allegorize it and make it between, you know, humanity and God. I don't believe that. Um, it, for me, I think they realized that there was something sacred in the exchange, that God blessed that too and said it was good or very good. So either way, there are all these different perspectives that are presented in some kind of way. It ended up in the canon. Yes. And I believe God intended for it to be there. Well, and you ultimately, mentioned Ruth ultimately and God,
0: Esther. Ultimately, God <laughs> intended for because it's there. Because it's there. But but the process by yes. which it arrives yeah. there,
1: it goes through is, is, human is sometimes
0: hands. disconcerting to those who are of a more fundamentalist uh, uh, view. Or of, conservative,
1: of it, it can be. It is disconcerting to them, and it can be. And I will never forget in seminary in that first intro to biblical studies class, we were talking about something, and uh, and our professor said something that one of my colleagues didn't agree with, and the colleague said, "You don't know the Lord, and none of y'all, none of <laughs> you professors know the Lord." You know, and yeah. that's funny because they always try to demonize our professors. They demonize, for, you and then they tell you you're going and to then hell. they tell you you're going to hell, yeah. and it's like, okay, they're the teachers. <laughs> Yeah. And then when they step back from the emotional, because this is emotional, this is faith, this is right. what you believe, and if you're in seminary, you believe that th- there's some inner urging call to do this right. work. But once you once you begin to stop coming out the corner, you know, like you're coming out the corner and the bell things and you ready to fight, instead of doing that, be exposed to the information. Yeah. And then help have a teacher like, God bless his soul, Dr. R- uh, Dick Solon, Richard Solon, who, who taught that class. Uh, a white Methodist brother uh, teacher um, who's been doing that for 30, 40 years and was going to retire and, and had the opportunity to come teach at Virginia Union. That's one. Or like my Old Testament professor, Dr. Jerry Ross, uh, African-American Hebrew Bible scholar, Old Testament scholar, or, or Dr. Boykin African-American New Testament scholar, but had these people who had a profound faith in God, all of them clergy and pastors in their own right, but knew that part of their call was to help those preparing for ministry to understand how do I wrestle with this because I'm going to be called to go back into a congregation Mm -hmm. and people are going to ask me questions Mm -hmm. and you're going to have to be prepared. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the Discipleship Institute is that very thing. And not only that, we have some sharp folk in this church.
0: We do. We do. Uh, I have no doubt sharp about folk. that. They can we, handle it. We could spend the rest of our time talking about just that one, but, but there are three other classes. Okay. T- t- talk yes. about the other three classes. Yes. As so well.
1: our other classes are uh, prophetic witness and um, social justice. That's Reverend uh, Jennifer Jones, Bridget, and Minister Rodney Johnson. Is that they, they are together? They they are teaching that class, and that's basically looking at this idea of what it what does it mean to be. Uh, Stand in the shoes of the prophet, mm-hmm. and uh, with the associate ministers, we are, have been doing a study on a book by Marvin McMichael. Uh, Where have all the prophets gone? Okay, you're
0: jumping the gun now.
1: Wait, I've go to that, but, but but that was the impetus for thinking. Her idea for that that uh, for the class for the discipleship institute came out of that. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is, how do we help our congregations to understand how you tie your faith? And the, and the call of the prophets to social justice to your own personal activity. And that's what they are working on um, in that class. Uh, wonderful discussion coming out. It's funny, I wish I could be in all the classes, but I'm teaching, uh, me and Kathy Locker are teaching the Old Testament class. But um, So that's uh, one of the classes. The other one is dealing with grief and loss. Uh, Reverend Robert Stewart and Minister Claudia Hall, Many se- several years ago, maybe six, seven, eight, something like that, they both jointly, with a number of other people went through, I think, a semester-long class on dealing with grief and loss. Might even have been a year-long class. And uh, when when I let folks know that we were doing the Discipleship Institute, he said, I would like to do that. And they're really just breaking down what does it mean to grief? Mm -hmm. Um, How do you deal with loss, whether it be the loss of a a loved one, uh, a loss of a parent or a child or a family member, the loss of a marriage? Um, you know, divorce, that's grief. Uh, So many different, how do you deal with loss and how do you contextualize it and understand that even though you have lost something or someone, you're not lost. You're not alone. God yet loves you, and God is there with you. And so they're wrestling with those um, issues and helping those people in that class. And people took are taking the classes for a number of different reasons, but you might have some people who are dealing with still the loss because that's not a overnight process. Grief and loss, you know, that feeling can go on months, years, depending on what it is that you're grieving.
0: In fact, especially when, when you're talking about traumatic loss, mm-hmm. loss through crime or, or through violence. yes throughout the rest of your life yes. if, if you don't get proper training for mm-hmm. it. Our social justice uh, uh, blurb in the worship folder, we do, for those who are not familiar, Shiloh puts a social justice piece in our uh, Sunday worship folder every week that deals with a the, with the different aspect of social justice issues. This week's uh, blurb deals with the long-term effects of uh, violent crime mm. uh, on on African-Americans and how it is different for African-Americans than it is for uh, white Americans, especially when the, the the crime is the result or, or the violence is the result of uh, police activity, of, 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 of a police shooting. And uh, it lasts for, I believe, 1.7 times as long within African-Americans than it does within white Americans. So it's a very relevant topic uh, and uh, I I applaud us for doing that. Mm -hmm. And, And then the fourth class is.
1: Wow, Witnessing Outside the Walls. And this is a class that looks at um, evangelism and how evangelism is the whole idea that we get outside of the walls of the church, Right. Um, that the church goes outside the building right. and that the church is the church and so uh, Minister Patsy Wilkerson and Minister Philip Broussard are leading that class together and dealing with how do you Uh, one-on-one evangelize to someone? And then how do you think about evangelism as not just the assignment of the preacher or the evangelism minister, but of all of us who are called Christians, uh, if, if, if we are called by Christ's name. And so they are looking at uh, clear strategies on how to teach people how to witness, where to witness, which is everywhere, obviously. And then they're looking at strategies. And, and out of that, hopefully, will come some things that as a church we can do together. So uh, the Summer Discipleship Institute really is a it's almost an incubator. <laughs> Even as we're teaching, I was teaching last night and of um, the night before last, and, and we're saying, okay, uh, if you like this, let us know. Um, is the information helpful to you? And we're doing the feedback loop the whole time, and mm-hmm. at the end we're going to do a survey because mm-hmm. we want to do it again. Right. And we're trying to poll the congregation to see what are other things that you uh, – want to learn, but also what are the things that from a discipleship equipping um, standpoint that we need to help you with so that you can be a more effective disciple and that we can go out and minister to the sick uh, and and reach the lost. And so out of the evangelism class, we're expecting some practical things to come out out of uh, Reverend um, Jones's class, out of the Prophetic Witness class. We're expecting very practical things to come out that will help people. How do we uh, impact social change and how are we the impetus uh, for social change right. and how does that grow out of our uh, understanding of the prophets, and even some of the things we've been involved with uh, as uh, pastor and minister of Christian education, and and some of the issues that are going on in our wide and Baton Rouge community, even with the issue that came up with the four um, metro uh, councilpersons and what's going on with the seat uh, vacated by the untimely uh, passing of Mr. Amorosa. Those things are directly tied to— Standing in the shoes of the prophet and then being able to say, well, how do I affect what's going on in my community and do so from a place that I understand that, okay, biblically, we've been charged to stand uh, like my.
0: And are you prepared uh, mentally and uh, spiritually for the pushback that you're going to get? Mm -hmm. Because whenever you challenge someone's established system of doing things, they're going to push back yes. on, on you. And uh, as this is being recorded, uh, we're, we're 12 hours removed from uh, a clear witness of that pushback that took place within uh, our East Baton Rouge Parish Metro Council Chambers. Uh, but people need to be reminded that the poor and the marginalized are here. They're real. They're tangible. And the fact that you overlook them uh... does not mean that they do not exist Exist. Mm -hmm. and from time to time uh... and i hope with greater frequency uh... we will remind those who are in positions of authority who are charged with uh... being equitable uh... in their dispensation of justice uh... throughout the community uh... that there's a considerable segment of the population uh... that's being overlooked and and that their needs need to be addressed just like everyone else's needs need to be addressed. Uh, Getting back to to the evangelism uh, piece, I've been doing ministry. uh, I've I've been pastoring for 32 years Mm -hmm. now. Shiloh is the third church that I have served. I served my first church for six years and my second church for 21 years. I'm six years, uh, almost six years into serving uh, at this church, if there is not a more difficult task to uh, uh, to to achieve uh, than evangelism, I don't know what is. Mm-hmm. And it's ironic uh, that that it is so difficult, especially when we consider ourselves, we call ourselves as Baptists, uh, evangelical yes. Christians. Yet the hardest thing to do is to maintain a consistent uh, uh motivated group of people who are committed uh to evangelism our, our thinking about evangel our traditional thinking about evangelism is when we open the doors of the church on on Sunday morning in one of our worship experiences and that's not evangelism, and that's that's not evangelism at all mm-hmm. yes so so that that to me is probably the greatest challenge uh that that we have yet to overcome, and I say that not just as, as as the pastor of this church, but as I talk to colleagues of mine, it is the greatest challenge that we have, uh, pervasively within our community. It's the reason why uh, there there is a gradual falling away uh, from the church uh, as as our society becomes more secularized, uh, our children, uh, and and then those who are not necessarily. Uh, so young to be called children, are falling away from the church, and they're they're developing and and maintaining lives for themselves uh, that have nothing to do with the regular worship of God, the corporate mm-hmm. worship experience of God, uh, and, and 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 in addition to those who fall away altogether, you have the group that call themselves spiritual. I I, I don't go to church. But I have a personal relationship with God and I'm spiritual and, and I don't need to be a part of, of a congregation in order to worship the Lord. So it, it, it is an ongoing challenge that, that, that uh, we have to get a hold of and uh, see how we can stem the tide of what's been taking place.
1: It is an ongoing challenge, but I think the church needs to think about it differently. Um, I believe the most effective evangelism may not necessarily come from major events uh, outside street ministry. Um, There's a place for street ministry, and there are those who are passionate about it, Cause that's what God called them to, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. But my thing, relational evangelism. When you look at the Gospels, and particularly, and see how how people came to Jesus, how he interacted with them, and then what made them become uh, believers in Him and His mission and His ministry, it's that he he it's the way he related to them. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was relational. Uh, and, 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 yes, we have the stories where he sat on the hill in the mountain and he preached and taught and taught and preached. But, but where you see the very clear notions that the transformative change came was in the personal interaction. Mm-hmm. And so I think for us, uh, sometimes we think that, oh, it's, i got to go out and i got to knock on the door and witness that way. And sometimes right. we do that. Right. But, honestly, it's in as you go yes. through your life, or as on your daily journey uh as you go you know your morning devotional often has the as you go as you go to work to school to the gym to get your hair done to go to the grocery store in your going is your light shining you know, are are you the the person that when the coworkers see you, they look at you and say, I don't know what it is, but it's something about him, it's something about mm-hmm. her. And then because if you are have that light shining, then people are gonna be like, what is it? You know? Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, and you might be able to tell your story, your personal testimony, share just your experience, how God is your. You know everything, yes. um, and and I think we just kind of sometimes need to rethink that. So if more of us were comfortable with relational evangelism, just telling your story when the opportunity comes up, mm-hmm. inviting people to church, um, and then at the on the other hand, we do the larger events, things like. Uh, we do our Easter egg hunt. You know, instead of it just being for shallow folks, maybe that needs to be an opportunity where we actually get out and knock on doors at that point Mm -hmm. and say, hey, we're having this and it's a community event and you live around this area, come. Just come have fun. We're not gonna browbeat you. We're not gonna come have fun, and the environment will be something that kids will love, families will love, and they'll say, "I want to be a part of them because they do fun stuff. They love on each other. They nice. They kind. You know." Uh, or we do the same thing uh, around the Halloween time with our uh, fall fest. Those type of options, but you do all of it. Right. You just don't do one thing, and, and I think as people become more more comfortable with the idea of relational evangelism. Then, um, then, then more will come because they're waiting. The lost are waiting out there. The people that are needing to see the love of God, and they see it in us. So that's a relational thing. You know, that's why our theology is incarnational. We mm-hmm. believe that God so loved that God took off divinity and, and came and was incarnated with flesh and dwelt among us. Yes. says that in John. So that is all about relationships. So yes. evangelism is all about relationships. So uh, I know that in that class, that's what they're getting at, and they're giving people tools to be comfortable with relational evangelism. Mm -hmm. And then once you have the relational evangelism, then how do you build evangelism teams? How do you build people who are then checking on people uh, consistently and constantly? Okay, you came and visited us. You know, the idea of um, throwing out, uh, thinking about our thrive thing, the extravagant welcome. So that people, when they come in through the doors on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday or for any event that we have, they feel the welcome of Shiloh, that, that we want you to be here. And we're ready to accept you when you yeah. come. And so that's all part of evangelism. Yeah. So, four great classes. And, um, you know, my thing is trying to stuff all the information in our short amount of time. So, the next go round, we may have to look at six weeks because four weeks is just not enough. Even I had people uh, on Wednesday saying, okay, and maybe we could think doing an hour and a half instead of an <laughs> hour. I said, oh, you speak speaking my language. So, yeah. looking at how we can have the time.
0: I have been observing. Uh, how successful it has been uh, uh, as you said we, we our, our first incarnation of this was with the alternative Sunday school mm-hmm. and uh, while the courses were interesting uh, people as you say were were fixed in their Sunday school classes and you did not get the kind of support uh, that, that, we you, wanted to th- get. that you mm-hmm. thought you could get having it on Wednesday nights uh, for a specified period of time where people know it's it's just four weeks or it's just five weeks or it's just mm-hmm. six weeks i think uh has been uh helpful mm-hmm. uh, uh for, for for us at shiloh uh, the, the the midday wednesday bible study is the is is the larger of the two bible studies we we get our our, our very uh Large crowd. It, it, it's for, for those who live in the Baton Rouge area who are listening to this. That's the Bible study uh, that you see uh, recorded on Sunday nights uh, when we do our closer look mm-hmm. television broadcast. The, the, the Wednesday evening uh, Bible study is a far more intimate that, that that's a nice way of saying small it, it, it's a far more small group group of people who come but that group has been doubled or perhaps even tripled mm-hmm. uh, uh, as a result of uh, this discipleship series which uh, leads me to start thinking in terms of how we can do this on a more regular mm-hmm. basis and keep that enthusiasm while we have it so i've been very pleased uh, with with what we have been able to Uh, to see happen over the past couple of weeks, and there's still two more weeks uh, of this. If you're in the Bad News area, we'd certainly love to have you come and share with us on Wednesday evenings at 6.30 uh, for this discipleship training series. In addition to that, uh, you're also involved in uh, the training of our associate minister. Shiloh has a large number of associates here, and uh, you, you have begun... A training series for the associate ministers. Talk a little bit about that, too.
1: Uh, our School for Prophets. <laughs> That's what I call it. Um, and that comes out of the, the 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 title, out of my own personal experience when I was first uh, acknowledging the call to ministry at Metropolitan Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., and, and we were the School for Prophets. But for me, it also comes out of the context of, again, standing in the shoes of the prophets and the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible idea of the School of Prophets. So we gather once a month and we review uh, a book where right now we're reading um, uh, um Where Did All the Prophets Go?, or Where Have All the Prophets Gone?, and, and it's an intense study. So it gives us an opportunity, first of all, for fellowship. Uh, We are busy in ministry here at Shiloh, and often we're doing the work, but we don't have as much time as associates, uh, ministers, to be able to just fellowship and and have fun with each other. So we come together, we share a meal, we talk about what's going on in our various ministries, uh, the successes and then the challenges. uh, And so we share, and it just gives us a time of of sharing and of release. And and it's, it's within the context of those who are in ministry, Because, as you well know, people don't fully understand, um, I think, what ministers deal with and what they go through and the expectations that are put on them, as well as just the nature of it. It it never turns off. Ministry is 24-7. Yes, yes. And so it's helpful to have an opportunity for us to get together. But on top of that, uh, I believe that ministers ought always, if you say you're called by God to this work, you ought always be preparing yourself to be ready when God calls you into something else. Mm -hmm. So calls you in. And so the idea that uh, when I acknowledged my call to ministry, it wasn't even a question. My pastor, Pastor Dr. Hicks was like, okay, a call to preach is a call to, to learn. So where you going to school uh, at that time, D.D., Everybody calling by my nickname, uh, and and so I, I chose that. So even with us here at Shiloh, at uh, having this time for associate ministers to learn and grow and share together. So talking about how do you improve your preaching? There are ways you can do that through some kind of systematic uh, things that that you can do to help uh, your preaching. How do you better? Um, understand biblical text for preaching or teaching. That's hermeneutics. And how do you approach a text? Dealing with systematic theology. Uh, So we're going to be rotating through some seminal text, um, primarily of of, of, uh, African-American authors, but other authors as well that are uh, writing in the areas that we need to know about. So systematic theology, church history, biblical studies... um, uh, pastoral care and counseling. So we're going to be rotating, you know, we're reading book, and when we're done with that, we're going to go on to the next one. I'm developing a uh, bibliographic resource for ministers in all these different areas so that you have access to the kind of information that helps you to be more astute so that you are prepared. So when people have a question, if you don't know the answer to the question, you know where to go to find uh, the question. So uh, it, it's a wonderful time, and every, every month it's better and better. Uh, as they say, it gets good and good. <laughs> <laughs> it's not proper English, but y'all know what I mean. And sure. so, uh, and, and it's interesting because I came out of seminary, and oh gosh so long now. Uh, I was 26 turning 27. I was the as the baby on the staff, uh, staff minister at the first church that I served uh, working full-time after coming out of seminary. Actually, before I was even done with seminary. It was my last year of seminary. And some kind of way, I don't know how, but I guess it was, you know, divine um, intervention and just God's plan for me. I was responsible for the associate ministry mm-hmm. ministers, and I was the baby on the staff. Mm-hmm. So I'm dealing with people 40, 50, 60. Sixty seventy, but that, but, but that was just something that um, fell to me. And every church that I've served in since then, that has some kind of way become part of my responsibilities. And I think that. Um, It's shown by the fact that I have a love for helping ministers to discern their calls, to work through their calls, and then once they are walking in that call, to always be prepared uh, for how they're leading and then what may be coming down the pike. And also because I've worked at two seminaries, um, that was very much a part of my job responsibilities Mm -hmm. in different ways. uh, While I was still in in seminary in Richmond, Virginia, uh, working as the coordinator for the Richmond Theological Consortium, and I dealt more with the fellowship and worship aspects of pulling all of these four member seminaries together and then when I was at St. Paul I was the registrar and really uh functioned as director of academic programs and 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 so that that's in my heart to do is to help support uh, uh the theological expansion of ministers and so I I love doing it I, I really do. Oh,
0: I I think that it's something that's necessary and uh I'm sure that other churches have their own version Mm -hmm. of ministerial training for their associates. Uh, This is relatively new to Shiloh, uh, and I think that uh, early on the the benefits seem to be clear. One of of the things that I have uh, uh, always encouraged uh, people to do uh, who come to me and say that they feel like there's a call on their lives uh, is to, number one, identify the call. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, times have changed from, from when I was uh, younger uh, and I acknowledge my call. The, the general assumption when you said that you were called when I was a boy is that you were called to preach. Preach and a pastor. And, and ultimately mm-hmm. to pastor. But these days, uh, ministerial opportunities uh, exist well beyond uh, just uh, pastoring and well beyond just preaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there are academic opportunities there are missionary opportunities there are chaplaincy opportunities there are any number of different opportunities out there so the first thing you have to do is be able to rightly identify what, what your call is. is if your call is to preach then the second thing that I encourage them to do is to start writing if there's one thing that I think is, is, is lacking in uh, many of our associates uh... these days it's the discipline of writing mm-hmm. uh... everybody wants the opportunity to proclaim that, that that's what you've been called to do and and often uh, you get frustrated with the pastor because pastor won't give you the <laughs> opportunity, opportunity. Uh, yeah. to proclaim But i insist as as it was insisted upon me when i acknowledge my call uh, uh, you got to write something. You got to put down, something down on paper, put it on paper, and you've got to bring it to me, mm-hmm. and we're going to review it, and we're going to look at it, and we're going to make sure that uh, that, that that it's it's not just zeal, but that there's some knowledge mm-hmm. behind what it mm-hmm. is that you are doing, uh, and 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 so I encourage our associates, uh, in addition to the work. That that you're doing in 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 the training sessions, I encourage our associates to write at least one sermon a week, all the time. Uh, so I, I don't and know. You how, know, I'm laughing. I, we well, yes, takes a lot of time. But, but it, but they need to know how much time it takes. Yes. They need to know what goes. The average person who comes to worship on Sunday morning and listens to a 20-minute message, because I don't preach much more than 20 minutes. Uh, uh, I tell people all the time, if I preach 25 minutes, I'm mad about something. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm a a 17 to 22-minute preacher. And the av- the average person who comes to worship here at Shiloh and and listens to a 20-minute sermon has no idea how much preparation and it took six into hours. into that 22 minutes.
1: Right. or 12 hours.
0: And, and, yep. and just like the average the person in the pew doesn't have to know that any more than I as a football fan have to know how much time a team prepared in order to play well against another team. Right. It, it, what you see on the field the day of the game is just the culmination of a week's worth of preparation that has taken place. I don't need to know that because I'm a fan. I'm not playing. But preachers need to know right. that. Right. Preachers need to know what it is to struggle with a text, what it is to, to, to find relevant points, and what it means to stick to the text. Yeah. I'm so sick of preachers who call a text at and the start never and never it. deal with the text mm-hmm. at all. I think that it's a discipline that is lacking in, in many of our preachers today, sadly to, to, to acknowledge, is lacking in many of our pastors today. We don't know how to prepare. We're still of the mindset that that you can just stand up and open up a text and start talking, and and, and the spirit is going to lead you into that. Martin Luther King said, the last time I did that, I opened up my mouth and not a damn thing came out. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and so we need to recognize the the, the importance—
1: of preparation yes the importance of preparation and understanding that the spirit moves in preparation too yes Uh, and that this idea that it's just under the the unction of standing in the pulpit no the unction of the spirit is always flowing as you know old folk used to say so the preparation is part of the move of the spirit because you have to have time to think through you know, and, and sometimes you have to fight with the text. Yes. You know this, that, um, you know, you go to something and, and, and you're trying to understand because you feel that the Spirit is leading you here and there's a word, relevant word for the people at the time. But, but sometimes you have to sit with it and walk away from it and yes. pray and come back the next day or the next day or however long. Sometimes I've, I've looked at a text. I, I can recall there was a text that I looked at for a year and never preached it. I kept on working on it. And finally just one day when I went back to it through prayer, something clicked in and I saw it in a way that I didn't see before yeah. so it takes time and and, and and people need to understand that there's something more than just standing up and opening your mouth you're yes. right and so uh, developing the skills of, of homiletics training how do you work through a text what questions do you ask of the text um, what perspective are you looking at the text from and how do you do that in a, in, 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 in a way with a method that will then yield a sermon that is good for consumption. Right. So uh, it, it's, 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 it's not easy and it takes time. And so it is important to write. And I know you get on me all the time because you want me to be writing every, you know, every week, writing a sermon. And I think if you are preaching every week, maybe it's easier because you have to. Um, but yeah. no, every week we should be wrestling and doing something with a text. When somebody
0: tells me, Reverend so and so asked me to come and, and preach, at his church and I don't have anything to preach I say shame on you mm. you ought to have tablets you ought these days nobody uses a tablet you ought to have a file on your computer that's just filled with sermons
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, it, it, it should not be something where you have to be overly tasked in order to do nobody said you were called but you Yes. You 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 said <laughs> that there's a call on my life. You said that the Lord set you apart to do this. Yes. work. Then why are you too doggone lazy to go out there and prepare yourself and and get into the discipline of 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 preparing messages, the discipline of preparing. Uh, Bible studies. Yes. Teaching is the same way. Yes, it is. It, it takes the same kind of discipline. It In takes the rigor. same amount of mm-hmm. intensity. And it usually takes for me a longer period of time because me I teach too. far longer than yes. I preach. A sermon yes. is twenty minutes. A Bible study is, is an, an hour.
1: hour. Yes.
0: And, and so it takes far more preparation for that. You said you were called yes. to this work
1: then if you're called to it, then be about the business of doing the work. Of doing the work and also going where you need to go to get the training so that you can better do the work. Um, and so, you know, my thing is theological education. Find, you know, what I love about Shiloh is we have lay people who go out and find classes. Um, the SBRI that Dr. Moss founded, you uh, Went to SBI to get get additional training. We have lay persons who have gone to, to to New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. They haven't even professed the call to ministry, but yet they're going to get additional instruction to help them be better uh, Sunday school teachers, uh, things like that. So if that's the case, then if you said you call. You should never be hesitant about seeking further opportunity to expand your theological horizons. And, you know, and it's never too late. I went to seminary. Um, the youngest person in our seminary class was 21, had just come out of undergrad. Just She hadn't even turned 21 when we started the seminary class. I was 25 or 6 or something like that, um, 25. And uh, the oldest person in my class were in their late 60s. Yeah. And people would say, At this age you go into seminary? And she's like, Well, yeah, 'cause the Lord called and called me up out of she's been serving in ministry her whole life. But and so she was like, I needed to be prepared and she was at the church where the same church where you you go and get prepared and so the idea that, um, yes, there's a call in the spirit and habits, um, uh Inhabits habits the call, and, and the spirit will give you the ability to do that, which you're called to do. But at the same time, the spirit give you good sense to know. Yes. Let me find ways that I can expand my knowledge base so that I can be effective. Because I go to my doctor, and she's a medical doctor. Right. I, and I want to make sure that she has the requisite training and the continuing education hours to deal with anything. You brought up the key my term continuing continuing education, education. and uh-huh. this is what we're doing.
0: And and and, and that that too. Is one of the things that we lack uh, within uh, our associate ministers and within our clergy. We lack continuing education, mm-hmm. and going to an association meeting is not continuing education. No, that's going to a state congress governance. or a national congress is not continuing education, uh, because uh, the, the the little education that you get from those gatherings is is fundamental. Education geared toward lay people. Yes. It does not meet the need of of those who are clergy mm-hmm. and those who are leaders within the church. No, we have to we have to find ways. And these days, with online classes and yes, because, hybrid classes, because at one time it was a struggle uh, in a place like Baton Rouge where you did not have a seminary, uh, and 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 the closest thing was New Orleans, and it was a struggle for people to to maintain a job because in addition to pastoring, many of them were bivocational and they were working a nine to five job and raising a family, it was difficult for them to find both the time and the money in order to go to seminary. That's no longer the the issue today. Online courses exist and, and if you don't mm-hmm. like New Orleans, you can get online courses from any seminary across yes. the length and breadth of this country. And now you have So there is no excuse. And so the right. only reason why you're not doing the work now is because you're
1: lazy. Yeah. And you have seminaries now that will offer the entire Master of Divinity, which is the professional degree for ministers, online. And while I wouldn't, um, recommend only doing online because you don't get the incarnational aspect of being in the room, uh, but still, so there's no reason why you can't do something. Of course not. Uh, there's, there's absolutely no reason at all why you can't do something. And so, uh, with our time with the associate ministers, we're doing something. We are doing continuing education uh, exercises, and at the same time, I'm encouraging everyone where there's the the will to continue your theological education, we're going to figure out how to make it happen yeah. and help you select the right thing for you. And so um, it's it's a wonderful time and an exciting time in the life of Shiloh, but also particularly in the life of the associate ministers. And God has blessed Shiloh with some some people who are serious about doing the work of ministry. So my task is just to help us be equipped in any way that I can um Help us. So. Well,
0: I, I have know. to admit, I'm, I'm a tad bit prejudiced, but I think you're doing an excellent well, thank job. You. Thank
1: you, Pastor yes. Smith.
0: <laughs> and I thank you for taking the time to share with us. We didn't today. talk about one more thing. We have talked we over- for an hour. Have- what one more thing?
1: VBS. We had an awesome Vacation Bible School. Tell them about VBS. Well, just Vacation Bible School. We do it the same week, the last full week of June. And we were topping 200 people every night, even Thursday. Usually Wednesday you get your biggest number, and then Thursday goes down. It wasn't like that. I mean, literally every day. So it was a rousing success. And and I thank God for Shiloh because Shiloh uh, is a congregation that hungers hungers for Christian education, um, along with loving worship, and so we we and so I want to thank everybody who was involved with Vacation Bible School because it's like take a team of about 50 to make this thing happen, and 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 it was good, it was great. We've
0: had a wonderful summer. Uh, we look forward to the rest of the year and the things that are in store for us as well. And uh, perhaps we need to make some adjustments as we were speaking about uh, some of our Christian education offerings. As we get toward the end of the year, Mm -hmm. uh, based upon the success of what we've seen taking place this summer. Again, thank you, Reverend Demetria Jones-Smith, for taking the time to share with us today. Thank you for viewing. Thank you for listening. This is the end of this Thrive Podcast. We'll be back again next week.